Hello and welcome to episode 25 of 50 Women Over 50, a podcast for women whose personal confidence is born of experience. I'm your host, Sherry Lynn Starkey. In this podcast series, I'm interviewing 50 women from all walks of life who are over 50 years of age about what they've learned by this decade so we can all learn from them. We're now at the halfway point of my podcasting project with Interview 25, and to mark this milestone, we're doing something a little bit different. Today's podcast is a bit of a family affair because my guest is my baby sister, Carrie Jane Diffin, and this discussion gets a little personal. Carrie's struggles with addiction are now behind her, but I'm not going to lie, it was incredibly difficult to bear witness to her life before she got sober. Since then, she's turned things around completely, and I'm honored that she's coming on my show to share her experiences. If you listen right to the very end of the interview, Carrie and I talk a little bit about being at the halfway point with this podcast, what it's achieving, and where it's going. But let's start at the beginning, shall we? So, tell me about your 50th birthday. Uh, Well, it was interesting. I I had planned a big party. I had invited all of my family and friends to join me because not only was I going to be 50 years old, but I was going to be 10 years sober. So it was a big event for me to take place on April 2nd, 2000, I'm sorry, yeah, 2020, and everything shut down about a week before the party. So I was really disappointed, and I decided to have one girlfriend over and staying in compliance with the, the provincial regulations. And my neighbor called the police on me because he suspected, <laughs> he suspected that I was throwing a party because we had a lot of cars in the driveway. We all have cars and my two kids were here staying with me. And so the police raided my one person 50th birthday party. That was one to remember for sure. Not exactly the way I planned it, but I won't forget it. So tell me about that. You open the door and the pop's standing there. What do you say? I was livid. I was livid. And they said, uh, we've had a complaint that you're actually more than five people in the house or something. And I could see, I could see the guy who lives across the street from me standing on his front porch, watching all of this happen. Oh, yeah. And so I know who it was. And we're not friends. (laughs) So, but they wouldn't come in. I kept saying, come in and see for yourself. But I was just livid. And I took it was when it was the start of my habit of going on social media to vent during the pandemic, which I did quite a bit of. And I haven't done since. And I don't recommend it, but it was like I had nothing, no other outlet. You know what I mean? So how did the cops handle it then? It was like, yeah, we have a, a complaint. There's a rager going on here. And you're like, I have one friend over. I have one friend over. Exactly. And we're all sitting around. They wouldn't come in. They just said, well, we're just here to, like, you know, like they wouldn't come in because it was COVID and everybody was terrified. It was the early days of COVID. And so they wouldn't come in and verify. They left and they said, hopefully we don't have any more complaints. I think what spurred it on too is I had some girlfriends come by and decorate my front my front yard and put up like banners and stuff like oh, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of that during so, the pandemic. I mean, yeah. And I think it was just hysteria. He was afraid. So I ended up posting something about lynch mob mentality in my community Facebook page. Oh, yeah. I didn't make a lot of friends, but I did feel a little bit better. Okay. That's good. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that won't be forgotten. So you had planned a big celebration. Right. How did you feel about turning 50? I, so uh, mixed feelings. I was going to make the best of it. 
I think I was a little in shock, actually, that this could happen to me because I just didn't see it coming. And so I thought I'm going to make, yeah, I'm going to make the best of it. I'm going to have a party. It seems like something worthy of celebration. And the, my 40s, probably my best decade, my happiest decade. Yeah. So I was feeling okay. I was feeling happy, but I was definitely thinking that I, nothing about me felt old enough to be 50. Nothing. So I was just kind of submitting to it. So how do you feel about being in your 50s now? So it's caught up with me. I feel it. Okay. I, f- I definitely feel um, older than, I, I'm at 53 now. And I've sort of entered into menopause and I'm starting to feel my age a little bit more. It's a little more challenging than it was when I turned 50. But I'm working on it. And the 50, it's going by way too fast. I mean, I'm already 53. I'm trying to stick my heels in the ground and slow this process down a little bit. But what are you going to do? I, I, I did a few things in order to feel young again. Like I took up downhill skiing with Ernest. I had skied a few times before, but I really took it on for the first time. And so going fast and whipping down those hills and, and all of that, that makes it, keeps me feeling young. Look, I'm yeah. never going to do a black diamond. I'm never, and I know that. I'm never going to be that person, but it feels fast to me to be going. Any kind of speed is fast compared to not skiing at all. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I'm, I, I feel the same. Like, I've, like I was out at, in Banff and I was skiing. I was doing the big hill and a friend shot some video of me. And then when I looked at the video, I, thought, I, I look like I'm almost about to stop. I'm going so yeah, yeah. Okay, no. But when you're doing it, you feel like you're going really fast. So I know what right. you're talking about. And it feels free. It feels free. But I'm still definitely an S person. And I, I don't know if I'll ever not do like the big S's down the hill. But I still, I feel like a racer. Yeah. Okay. What else are you doing for fun? I, I have to try to have as much fun as I possibly can, to be honest. So I see a lot of bands. My husband and I share an interest in live music. So since the, everything opened up post-pandemic, we've probably been out to see 50 bands just to sort of make up for lost time. Had a lot of fun, and I'm still having a lot of fun doing that. And I do a little kayaking. I do a little, I, I'm trying to be as social as possible. I'm just, I no longer take for granted being able to go out and do my thing. So I, I do it as, I'm out two or three nights a week being social. So I keep busy. And who are you being social with? Is it long-term friends or new acquaintances or? So a little bit of both. I have some long-term friends that I, I, one thing that I've learned over the years is that every level of friendship takes work. Nothing happens without making an effort, right? So it was really important to me to keep these relationships going. Some of them are acquaintances. I have a group of women who I get together with once a month for a dinner. And I'm the organizer of it. So I sort of send out the email invites and choose the restaurant. And there's usually about 15 of us that go. They're not all really close friends, but they're all in my community. They're mm-hmm. all friends. And otherwise, I, I really think that we don't, we'd all lose touch. We wouldn't keep in touch the same way that we do. So it creates some camaraderie. And then I have friends that go back from high school and, and some more recent but long-term friends that we definitely make an effort to keep, get together and stay together. Girlfriends. Yep. Girlfriends. I got one man friend and his name is Kevin and he's dear to me. I hang out with him a lot. He's one of my skiing buddies and he's also good friends with my husband. 
and he I I pawn off any kind of bands that I don't want to see on Kevin. I go with my husband, like they're going to see Kiss. Kiss, so much fun. I'm passing on that one. Saw them in Baltimore. I saw them once too. I figure once is once qualifies me as being a very good wife. Twice qualifies me as an exceptional wife, and I don't need exceptional. Okay, so let that one go. But so yeah, mostly I, mostly I have a, a good circle of girlfriends. Sounds like you're having a happy fifties. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, life is what you make it, right? And I'm a pretty happy person. Good. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice that you would like to give your 30-year-old self? My 30-year-old self, I was, my 30th decade was my most out-of-control decade. It was prior to me getting sober. It was just prior to me getting sober. And I was off the rails when it comes to lifestyle and any kind of responsibility. So I had become rendered basically unemployable and then I didn't have a lot of friends and stuff going on. So the biggest piece of advice I would give my 30-year-old self is quit drinking now, don't wait, because it just got immensely better after I did. Um, I would also tell my 30-year-old self that nothing really matters except for the relationships that you have. The relationships that I have with other human beings is really the only thing that matters. So my children my family, my husband, all of those relationships, which I didn't have in place in my 30s. Kind of pausing on that because this is episode 25. I'm halfway through my project of interviewing 50 women. And I think without exception, every interview has touched upon this, the importance of relationships and that you don't really start to get your brain around that until you get till you're older till you're in your 50s and you you have some hindsight and you can see what you were doing in your 30s and 40s and and what you want to do now and there's a stark difference and it's all about the relationships of the people that you have in your life well I think in my 30s I took it for granted that the people would always be there Mm -hmm. I think it was after that that I realized like I said that every relationship I have takes a certain level of effort and work they don't just happen and that includes even with my children, right? And with mom and with my family and my husband. Nobody is just going to show up and keep showing up over and over again unless you put out some kind of effort to that. And do you feel that your peers do the same? Or do you feel like you are, you're the one that's driving everything? I drive a lot. I drive a lot. I, I do a lot of organizing of group activities within my within my circle of friends where I think there would be a lot less of that if I didn't. As a matter of fact, I don't think there'd be any. Yeah. The, the reason I ask that question is because, I mean, you, you and I are sisters. We're a lot alike. And mm-hmm. I was always the person having the dinner parties, arranging the social things, and buying the tickets, getting people involved. At some point, I don't remember exactly when, but it was definitely pre-pandemic, where I just thought, enough, nobody else is raising their hand. Nobody else makes the effort. I'm, I'm not doing it anymore. And I just stopped. And you know what? The difference was stark. Yeah. When, when I stopped having the dinner parties and having people over, like, they just stopped. There's nobody else in my realm right now, with, with the exception of you and our third sister who may eventually make it onto this podcast, that actually take any initiative in getting things organized. 
And I kind of was coming to the realization that that's just part of getting older and it's part of being in middle age. I mean, you and I know when we were kids, we used to joke at old people and say, get back in the suburbs and go in the basement where you belong, right? But here I am. Yes, in the, the in the basement. In the basement. And I kind of, like, I don't like it, but I, I accept it. That it's just kind of the natural stage of life. Sure. I don't think I've accepted it yet. Okay. I'm not willing. I'm not willing to accept it yet. I'm definitely an extroverted personality. And I would be really sad if I didn't have the social interactions that I have. My husband is pretty happy in the basement, in the suburbs, right? Watching yeah. sports and doing his thing. But I'm not as satisfied doing that. Like by, by day two or day three, I've had enough and I need to get out and do something. So if it takes me to organize that, it's not that my friends don't want to gather. It's just that they don't even think of it, right? Yeah. yeah. And so they're grateful to have the events to go to. I yeah. mean, everybody's always really happy to attend. It's just they don't think of it. They don't think the same way I do. Yeah. I'm with you. Like, I, I really miss it. How did you manage during pandemic when you weren't allowed? I maximized my opportunities. <laughs> so I took up everything, outdoor activities. I took up with, with a vengeance. I started camping. I started kayaking. One of the first things I did was buy my own kayak. And then I, so did my girlfriends. And so we would still get together on the water, wherever possible, wherever gatherings were possible and parties less than five or whatever it was. So we kind of took, I took advantage of every opportunity to be able to still be social. It was hard. It was, it was not an easy time. That's for sure. And uh, like, I, I feel that with time, we kind of forgot how full of despair we were at that time. Like I, I had something come up today in my on this day on Facebook where I was bragging that I had a a Zoom call with my family members. <laughs> yes, and I was, yeah. yeah, that slipped my mind that we had organized these like family Zoom calls and stuff just so that we could touch base and connect face to face. It was really and, and how difficult it was to get some people on Zoom where now everybody just it's just second nature now everybody's on zoom all the time all the time i never went back to the office so i'm still on zoom almost all day okay. doing my thing and I, I saw in one of my facebook memories which made me kind of laugh and kind of cry at the same time and it said okay i've been in isolation eight days six more days to go and oh no oh, and no. i'll be out and the, all of this will be over <laughs> yeah. flatten the curb for 14 days silly youth Silly me. Yep. Silly me. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that you're very involved as a volunteer. I am. Tell us a little bit about what you do, what you volunteer for and the good causes that you work with. Okay. So I work, I am a, a member of a recovery community and part of the pillars of the community is to be of service. So I, I had spent the beginning years of my sobriety working with other women like myself and helping them become acclimatized to sobriety and sort of how to live that way. And I did a lot of that in the, in the beginning. And I've kind of pivoted from that. It takes a lot out of you to do that. It mm. takes a lot of emotional effort and, and time and energy. I work more now at a sort of at a distance from the newcomer who might be coming in. 
organizing larger events. I'm, I'm working on a conference that we're going to be running this fall. It'll be, I'm chairing that conference and they'll probably be attended by anywhere between 500 and 1,000 people. That's something that I'm overseeing for this year. And I do a lot of other work like that, working at sort of more than arm's reach from, from people who are still suffering, but providing service for them that way. And I recently became involved with Cornerstone, Cornerstone Residents for women who are homeless in the Ottawa area. And we, we did a walk recently, raised a bunch of money, and I've done some other work for them as well. So I just try to keep my, my hands involved in being helpful wherever I can. Where does that sit in the grand scheme of your life? Like, why? Where's your motivation? So my motivation in the beginning was to keep, I never wanted to forget what it felt like for me mm. to be back out there drinking and not enjoying life the way I am now. And the best way for me to be able to do that was to work with people who were just coming in. I used to say, if they're still twitching, that's when I want to be working with them because they're just, it, it reminded me of how difficult life out there can be compared to this beautiful life that I've created for myself here. I never wanted to become complacent mm. and, and, and forget. So that was the motivation then. Now it's really about being helpful. I think that it's really, it feels important to, be, to me to be helpful in some capacity. Mm. And it doesn't necessarily have to be just with people like me. It can be in a broader scope now. But I definitely, being useful, I just can't imagine life without being useful. Mm. I agree. I think that's our Roman Catholic upbringing. It's Good being reason. of use. Being, being of, use. of use is one of the central pillars of my life too. So I totally yeah. hear you on that's that. How I feel. Mm -hmm. Where do you think you would be now if you hadn't sobered up? Well, I don't know as my sister how you would like to hear, how much you would like to hear this, but I don't think I would be here. I am what is considered to be a low bottom alcoholic. I did not recover easily or quickly. And I was definitely, I had to wait until it was a matter of life and death before I actually just chose to get well. That's mm -hmm. just, it doesn't happen to everybody that way. That's the way it happened for me. So mm -hmm. not until I was actually genuinely afraid of dying, did I choose a different way of living. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, I think it, it would have ultimately ended badly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm well, very grateful. I think you've done an amazing turnaround job. Thank you. Thanks. I mean, you look 15 years younger than you are. Well, most people that have gone through what you've gone through, it's usually the, the opposite, right? Yeah, I know. I, I don't know why I kind of got lucky there. <laughs> Where do you see yourself in 10 years? We're tired. And I know this is contrary to what you hear in most of your podcasts, but yeah, I got about eight years left of working if all goes well. And uh -huh. that I definitely want to get out of the snow. I know that that's not uncommon. Yeah. And uh, I have, like I said, I have a lot of hobbies and a lot of things that going on outside of work that bring me a lot of fulfillment. So I'm not afraid. I, I mean, I'm afraid financially. I worry that am I going to be prepared enough? But mm -hmm. I could even see taking on like a hobby job of some kind. Yeah. Part time, something, maybe part of the year, but definitely retired. I want to be someplace. I golf a lot. And I love the beach. So somewhere that it provides those two things. And then somewhere that's also, I'm really hoping between us to be a grandma. By the, 
So somewhere where I can be able to see my kids too and my kids' kids should they come to fruition. Yeah, the grandma thing. Mm -hmm. It's an important part. Like I would say... I would say at least half of the ladies I've interviewed so far are grandparents, but not all of them. No, Some I, of them are still in the parent phase. Like a couple of them still got yeah. kids at home. Oh. I don't. I don't. Yes, mine are like 28 and 25. So they're, they, they would be considered young parents now, which I find a little strange. But because nobody, they're not having kids till their 30s nowadays, which is, I just think it's not well thought out. I mean, you're going to be raising kids well into your 60s, which is, well, I guess there's good and bad and everything, but not, not a choice I would make. Yeah, yeah, I know. But kids think differently than we did. Like they, they, they want to be a little bit more financially stable before they, they want to have a house. Like if I had waited to get my life together before I had kids, I would never have had kids. And I cannot think of myself as not having kids. But I know that by the time I was in my 30s and had sorted myself out and my career was building, there's no way I could have gone back to having a baby that like I, I was having too much fun at work and building my career. And, and there's just no way that that could have happened. And I feel like I hadn't had the kids when I did and I made it to 30, I might have chosen not to have any and that would have been very sad in the long run but i had mine i had one when i was 20 one when i was 21 i did not wait until i could afford it and just kind of figured things out after <laughs> funny you should say that i was thinking back to what it was like to do groceries when my kids were that small mm. and i had no money i mean now i think groceries are expensive I mean, it's all relative. I get that. But I remember going with 50 bucks to get the week's worth of groceries. Yes. For a little mouse to feed, you know, and peanut butter wasn't on my list because it was too expensive. So yeah. cleaning I, products. Yeah. Deferred buying cleaning products because just not enough money for food this week. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, the, and now kids don't do that, right? They're, you're right. They're far more settled than we were. Far more. Yeah. As a young mother, just remember going down the aisles like that. that's... That's not for, didn't even consider this stuff. That is not for me. That is for other people. This yeah. is not the stuff I buy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They don't have to deal with that. So there's something to be said, right? Mm. Yeah. I don't like grandchildren's lives are very much different from the lives that you and I grew up in in City View in Ottawa. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. But well, I think it's true of every family, really. I mean, yeah, I, when, I'm, when I'm talking to people, I'll talk about sharing bedrooms. Remember that? Yes, yes. Sharing yes. bedrooms and one Sharing beds. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Things like that just don't happen anymore. Yeah. All right. What are you most hopeful about the future? For myself or for? Both. In common. I'm hopeful that our children's children, because of the decisions that they're making, their lives will be easier. And, and maybe they'll be better, better settled community members and better settled politicians and, and better, less, less deviant and less, less dishonesty because they're going to be raised in happier homes. I hope. I'm hopeful for myself. I mean, I think, I think my retirement looks very different to me now than it ever had before. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to making the most of it. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm hopeful for the future too. What are you reading? What are you watching? What's your current binge? So I've just been three days on the couch with the flu where I binged right through a series on Netflix called The Accused, which I highly recommend if you haven't seen it. It's standalone episodes of people who take, make a certain decision in their lives. Normal people make a certain decision in their lives that brings on a destiny that you can't even imagine. You know, for instance, in one of the episodes, the parent of a teenager suspects there's something wrong but does nothing to stop a school shooting. And it's a whole series, so it's pretty cool. I just watched that. And I'm listening to uh, Jane Fonda's autobiography, My Life So Far, which was... Uh, when did she write that? It's new, newly released. My Life So Far, okay. Yeah. Well, is she 85, 86? Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird book. It's a, it's a lot, I, I like anything that's got a feminist slant, right? And she's a feminist, so I thought it'd be an interesting book, but... It's kind of a paradox because she's not, she talks a lot about feminism, but she's also kind of a slave to the patriarchy too. Her husband's and her mm. looks and her, the plastic surgery, like those are all kind of counterintuitive to feminism. Dad hated her God's saying. I know. I think about <laughs> every time I listen to her, the whole time I'm listening to her, I think about how much he hated her. Maybe that was my motivator. I don't know. I like her. Yeah, I, I, like mean, I used to do her workouts in the 80s and she's very likable. She is. Well, she's very, she's not perfect, right? And doesn't claim mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's good. It's been a good book. Is there an app you couldn't live without? Yeah, my Fitbit app. Without my Fitbit app, I wouldn't know if I had a good night's sleep or a good meal. It runs my life. There's another app that I use a lot that's... We use a lot lately anyway. It's called Perry. And it's a, a community of women who are in different stages of menopause. Oh, and, you tell. Uh, yeah. How'd you find this? Oh, a lot of looking. Desperation, a lot of looking. And uh, it's, it's just got doctors that come on and, and like uh, American doctors that come on and give talks, live talks, live interactions. And I learn a lot more than I can learn from my, the doctors that I'm able to see here in Canada. We don't seem to have a handle on hormones and they just, it just doesn't seem to be as helpful. So I, I use it. I'm on it all the time, looking up symptoms, figuring out what's going on, finding out what, what remedies I can use for what. What's this app called? Perry, P-E-R-R-Y. And is this the person's name? No, no. I forget who the woman's name that runs it, but it's as in perimenopause. Oh, perimenopause. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Pretty cool. It certainly helps me to feel normal in it. it's time in my life where things are not very normal. Well, I'm definitely going to have a link to that in the show notes for sure. Do it. Do it. It'll be useful to lots of people. And is there an over 50s life hack that you'd like to share with our audience? I don't know if it's a hack as much as getting outside. I mean, that's been the big differentiator for me in my 50s is just pulling my my lazy body outside every day and doing something just to raise my spirits and feel good about things and get the vitamin D in and get all of that stuff going on. The serotonin levels, all of it. I feel like based on being a workaholic four weeks straight now that I should be listening to your advice. Go outside. Go outside. Never. Even if it's for 20 minutes. Episode 25, we're halfway through. I know as my sister that you're 
like one of my biggest fans and you've listened to every episode so far. So what is, what's your impression of the show so far? And do you have any favorites? Every week I think, oh, that one was a good one. I think it's really great. It's broad. The people who you're interviewing are are really varied, very different life experiences, geographic locations. So I think it's kind of cool that we all have sort of a common, there's a lot of commonality between us, even though we're living totally different lives. I do think I've taken something from every episode, though, where I thought, oh, that's a good idea. Oh. Or, yeah, I totally get that. Like you, I learned something from every every conversation. And, and one of my ambitions for this project was to build out my network of women that I'm peers with. And it's, it seems to be working. I'm staying connected with the women that I interview after the show's been published. I mean, most of them, not 100%, but and kind of building out a network of, of wise women over 50. Do you consider any of them to be new friends? So, well, yes, but it's still early days. I mean, I consider them people I would like to be friends with. I think that's a better way to characterize it. We're staying connected online. And there's a couple of them I had been acquainted with, but weren't really friends with. And I feel like we've got on a much more solid footing as a result of working together on the podcast and and then continuing to support each other in social media going forward. So yes, it is fulfilling its goal of making new friends and and uh, hanging out with people like me. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think women need community more than more than men, to be honest with you. Men play sports and they do other things together, but women really need community. This has been 50 Women Over 50, a podcast for women whose personal confidence is born of experience. I want to thank today's guest, my sister, Carrie Jane Diffin, who I couldn't be prouder of. One of the key takeaways for me is her advice about continuing to invest in every single relationship you value, whether it's with your spouse, a family member, a dear friend, or a new acquaintance. Finding true happiness takes time and effort, and we should never take for granted any of the people in our lives. See the show notes to find out where you can connect with Carrie online and find links to the books and shows and other resources that we discussed on today's call. And join me again for next week's show when I will welcome brand strategist Corinne Kershey, who makes a positive difference every day as an active community volunteer. That's next week. But in the meantime, please help me build this community of wise women over 50 by leaving a rating or review on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. It will help more women find the podcast so they can join us in our little collective here. See you next time on 50 Women Over 50. I'm your host, Sherry Lynn Starkey.